Well, I don't even think I'll comment about the video you just saw other than to say maybe later on in the sermon it'll make sense to you. Um, maybe. We'll see. Uh, one of my favorite scenes um, from the World War II movie called Patton comes when General Patton is standing up on a hill in North Africa, and he's looking over the Allied forces as they're fighting the Germans. It's a tank battle, and the Germans are led by a general named General Rommel, and he was a brilliant general. He was known for his brilliant military strategy. And he'd actually written on a book on military tactics. And as Patton is observing this battle going on, and he begins to see the Allied forces defeat the German forces, he looks over the battle and he says, I read your book, Rommel. I read your book. And of course, his point is this. He had read General Rommel's book. He knew the military tactics that he would use, and he was able to counter those, and so he was able to defeat the enemy. And you know, there is a great, great lesson from that, and it's this. We need to know, or you need to know, how to defeat your enemy. You don't have to shrink back in fear. You don't have to feel defeated at all. You know, sometimes we feel defeated in our spiritual life. Sometimes we feel defeated just in life in general. We are discouraged or we have doubts in our lives. Uh, maybe it's because of a temptation that we just can't seem to overcome. Maybe it's because of a, a habit, an addiction that we can't put behind us. Maybe it's the same sin that just keeps surfacing over and over and over again, and it makes us feel uh, defeated. Or, you know, perhaps it's something else. And we, we get to the point where we just say, I am so frustrated with this. I just want to give up. And you think, what is the point? That's exactly where Satan wants us to be. But we don't have to be defeated at all. We don't have to surrender to that. You know, God has prepared us for battle. God has prepared us. He's equipped us for spiritual warfare. Not only just to fight back, but actually to conquer. And that's what Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, we are in a series called The Life of Paul. In fact, we're going to conclude that series today, and throughout the summer, we've been looking at Paul. We looked at his life from the book of Acts. We've also looked at several of his writings as well. Perhaps the most influential writer of the New Testament was Paul. He wrote 13 books, some great books. I mean, if you were only going to read one book of the New Testament other than the Gospels, probably the book of Romans would be the book to read, written by Paul. In fact, if you're doing the Ridge Reading Challenge, tomorrow we start reading the book of Romans, and we're going to read the whole thing, and uh, just to come out of this series on the life of Paul. But we want to focus on one of his writings today, and it's a very unique writing, because Paul uses the metaphor of fighting a battle, of, fight, of, of being engaged in spiritual warfare. And to do that, he actually takes the uniform and the armor of a Roman soldier for his metaphor. And, you know, it, it's quite unique when you read this. Now, Paul was in prison 
when he wrote this letter or book that we're going to look at today. You know, we told you that what he would do is he would travel around the different cities. He would share the message with, of Jesus with people, and then he would start a church in that city. Then he would move on. And sometimes when he'd get to move on, he would, um, he would want to write a letter back to a church where he'd already been. So most of what we read of his writings in the New Testament are just letters he's written back to churches. Like, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians today. That's because he had been at a city called Ephesus, and he He'd started a church there in that city, and he moved on. But he wanted to write a letter back to them. So he writes the letter back, and we call it Ephesians. Now, when he wrote Ephesians, he was in prison. He was chained to a Roman soldier when he's writing about spiritual warfare. And I don't know why, but I have this mental picture in my mind of Paul sitting there on, you know, on the floor in a prison cell, um, getting ready to write to them. So he pulls out his laptop, you know, and he begins to write. And he starts to write about spiritual warfare, and he's typing that in, and he's chained to this Roman soldier who's standing beside him. So he looks up at this guy, and he goes, okay, he's wearing uh, armor there, okay, and he writes about that, you know, and they say, oh, he's got a helmet, and he writes about, oh, and there's his sword, you know, and finally the Roman soldier sees Paul just keep looking up at him, and this Roman soldier looks down at him and says, what are you looking at? And Paul says, nothing, you know, and just keeps writing. Uh, That's not in the Bible at all. I just have this mental picture of that's the way this worked. Now, perhaps you're familiar with the term intel. And the term intel is just short for intelligence, and it's used in military terms to refer to information that you gain in order to defeat your enemy. And essentially, what we're going to look at today from Paul's writing, Ephesians chapter 6, is intel for spiritual warfare. And Paul tells us that there are three things that we need to know are intel in order to defeat our enemy. And the first one is we need to know our adversary. We need to know who our enemy is. And so as we go to Ephesians chapter 6, here's what we read that he said. He said, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Now, we read that word devil in what we were reading there. That word devil simply means, that word just means liar or slanderer. And the devil is out to deceive us. Satan is out to destroy us. And you may think, wow, that's strong language, you know. Destroy us, really? Well, check out what 1 Peter 5, 8 in the Bible says. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And then we read this about him in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So what's that mean when it says he's an angel of light? Well, obviously Satan is an angel. He's a created being. And an angel of light just means that, you know, we think of Satan, we think of evil and red suits and all that, but it means he comes to us and presents something as, like it's good, or we think it's attractive, or we can't do without it, or it'll be okay, or we'll like it. 
You know, that, and so sometimes we see this momentary thrill. We got to have it. We can't do without it. And then we find out there are consequences later on. Sometimes devastating consequences. Or as an angel of light, sometimes Satan will twist the truth ever so slightly. So we're thinking, you know, our attitude that we have or an action isn't really wrong. You know, for example, maybe, uh, maybe we get angry at what someone does or someone says, and we begin to think, well, I have a right to be angry. I have a right to lash out. I have a right to say what I'm going to say about that person. I have a right to do what I'm going to do, what they do. After all, what they did to me, Satan just wants to twist the truth ever so slightly. He doesn't come to us, you know, like we said, in the red suit or the horns with evil music playing like we're used to seeing. Even, even think about this. Think about some of our college mascots. So, for example, here's the Duke Blue Devil. Look at this guy. I mean, he looks pretty friendly, doesn't he? You know, not a bad guy. You can hang out with him. Or look at this DePaul Blue Demon. I mean, that kind of looks like a teddy bear or something like that. But, you know, the Bible tells us that our enemy is an unseen enemy and he actually has strategies. He's trying to defeat us. And so if he has strategies, we have to be aware of our enemy and know how to defeat him. You know, one of my favorite pastimes is uh, watching sports. And I can watch, and I do watch, just about any sport. I mean, sure, football, basketball, baseball, racing, golf. I'll watch marathons, I'll watch triathlons. I've even been known to watch cornhole. I'll watch just about anything. And then, of course, in March, it all quit. So I had this void in my life. I had to fill my time with something else. And so I started filling my time with recreational reading. And one thing, I, I've, I've now I read three books um, about Navy SEALs, and it's fascinating to read about Navy SEALs and their approach. And you know, after 9-11, we realized that we had an unseen enemy, terrorism. You couldn't fight it with conventional warfare. And that's where Navy SEALs came in. They were trained to fight an unseen enemy. And it's fascinating to read about, you know, their approach and their commitment and their preparation and their resolve and the skill they have. And we have an unseen enemy, but we don't have to shrink back. And that's what's important to understand. We don't have to live in fear at all. In fact, you can be strong in the mighty power of God. Know this too. This has nothing to do with your eternal destiny. That is secure. Once you've invited Jesus into your life, God's Spirit keeps you secure. Check out what Ephesians 4 verse 30 says. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Satan has no power over your soul, and Satan knows that. So his strategy is different. He turns his attention to the time between now and the time you go to heaven if you're a follower of Jesus. And his objective is to destroy the work of God in you and through your life. He may try to discourage you with trials and difficulties and so, you, so that you'll give up. He may want to overwhelm you with doubt. Perhaps he'll try to defeat you with sin. And he doesn't care what it takes. 
as long as he can bring the work of God in your life to a halt, or at least slow it down. So you have to acknowledge and know how to fight your enemy, the devil. So how do you defeat him? If he is strategizing to defeat and destroy us, then we'd better have a plan as well, right? And that plan is given to us by Paul in verses 13 to 17 of Ephesians 6. So here's, here's what he does next. Paul tells us about the armor. He tells us what our armor is, and he tells us how to use this to defeat the devil. You know, from what I've read, the average cost to equip a Navy SEAL is around $30,000 because no, you know, cost is no object for SEALs. And the Roman army was the best in the world, the way it was equipped to fight uh, a battle. And Paul lists several pieces of armor that were used, and he uses this metaphor then to talk about how to defeat Satan as a Christian. Now, the Roman soldier didn't look exactly like this, the guy you saw in the video earlier. Okay, I don't think he had shorts, cowboy boots. Roman soldiers didn't wear beards. You know, they were clean-shaven, although this guy looks pretty intimidating, I think, with that beard. But in that time period, when Paul was living, Roman soldiers were everywhere. But because Paul was in prison and because he was chained to one, it gave him the advantage of studying the uniform, the armor, up closely. So check this out. Here's what we read beginning in verse 13 of Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. So he now gives us the first two pieces of armor, and they're listed as a belt of truth and body armor of God's righteousness. Now, a large leather belt for a Roman soldier serves several purposes. Um, the Roman soldier hung his sword and his dagger by his belt. Another purpose was to tuck his robe in when he went into battle. Um, if you grew up... Uh, going to church or maybe hearing some of the older versions of the Bible, perhaps you heard the phrase, gird your loins. If you've ever heard that phrase before, what that meant is you would just tuck your robe into your belt so it would allow you to move, maneuver freely when you were going into battle. You know, I have this mental picture of um, coming home in the evening when my kids were little. And often my youngest son would meet me at the door, and he would have this plastic belt very tightly fastened around his waist. And tucked into that belt would be an assortment of weapons, plastic knives and swords and toy guns and one or more lightsabers. And when I walked through the door when I got home in the evening, I had to be prepared for battle. And the belt that the Roman soldier had was a key focus of his weaponry. Um, it, not unlike a modern-day soldier. And it's called the belt of truth. Truth is actually your most important weapon. Why? Because Satan doesn't try to tempt us. 
or deceive us with overt lies. None of us would buy into that, right? So he just slightly twists or distorts the truth. Remember, we said he's an angel of light. So, ah, it won't hurt just once. No. Truth says that whatever I sow, that's what I'll reap. You know, discouragement is one of Satan's key weapons. And a discouraged follower of Jesus is a defeated one. Hey, you aren't really making a difference. No. Truth says that whatever I do for God is not useless. <laughs> you can't overcome that sin, that habit in your life. No. When tempted, God will show us a way out. <laughs> if God cared about you, he would not have allowed that to happen. No. Truth says that God can make all things work together for good for those who love him. The belt of truth. Now, the next piece of armor, the next piece of equipment that Paul lists is the body armor of righteousness. In some of the older versions of the Bible, this is called a breastplate. And it covered the soldier from the neck to the waist, front, and even around the back. And it was made of metal. It protected his vital organs against a sword or a dagger. So what's the significance of the body armor of righteousness? Well, it makes your vitals impenetrable. Um, have, you ever tried to, have you ever watched one team in a sport play another team where they're completely intimidated? You know, often it's not even a fair fight when that happens. And yet, a confident team, a team that be believes and knows it can win, is really tough to beat. Perhaps the greatest season for the Indianapolis Colts was during the Manning years would have been maybe 2009. Because that year, the question wasn't, are they going to win? It was by how much were they going to win each game. They were better than everybody they played, and they knew it. And they went 14-0 and before they rested their starters for the last two games of the season. Nobody beat them. Um, and when they walked on the field that year, they were confident they were going to win. And they did. They made it to the Super Bowl that year. And they should have won it, even though they got beat by New Orleans, but we won't go there. But, you know, God's righteousness gives you confidence. You can live your Christian life like you know you're going to win because you are going to win. Now, we're going to keep reading in Ephesians 6, and there are four more weapons listed. I'll begin reading in verse 15, and it says, For shoes... Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the, first, uh, the next piece of armor that we read about are the shoes. Now, why were the shoes so important? Well, because soldiers walked, they marched, and they fought in these. So they had to be comfortable. They had to be flexible. They had to provide you with good footing. You know, I do some running, and one thing I've learned is that perhaps the most cons important consideration with running, your shoes. 
if you want foot, ankle, knee, hip, or back problems, just wear a cheap or worn-out pair of shoes. And I literally go through a pair of running shoes every two to three months. And I hate it that I have to get new shoes that quickly because they still look okay. But you just can't cheat on the life of a running shoe. It is your foundation. Peace is your foundation as a follower of Jesus. The good news called the gospel that you have forgiveness of sins, a right relationship with God in this life, and the promise of eternal life. That provides you with peace. You know, here's what Jesus said in John 14, verse 27. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. In the stressful moments of life, you can have peace. When your life is turned upside down because of life circumstances, you can still have peace because you know you're so secure in your relationship with Jesus. Now, the next piece of armor that he talks about is the shield of faith. And shields were used by Roman soldiers. Um, the ones they used were often pretty large. They could actually take them, line them up in front of them, kind of forming a wall, and then they could slowly move forward. And flaming arrows were often shot at the sh soldiers, and so they would even dip their shields in water before the battle to extinguish the fiery arrows. And our faith is our shield. Think about it. Every temptation of Satan is an attempt to get us to distrust God, to distrust God's provision, his direction, his love, or his purposes for our life. Can I trust God enough that my integrity is so important, even if it means sacrificing advancement at work? Can I trust God enough to provide the right spouse for me and not compromise my standards? Can I trust that putting God first with my finances is the right thing to do, even if it means I have to delay some expenditures? Can I trust God to honor, or can I trust making decisions to honor God with my sexuality? which will lead me to the best he has for me, even though no one else is doing that? Proverbs 3, 5 says to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. And that's what the shields do to keep us from Satan's fiery arrows. Now, there's another one, another piece of armor, and it's called the helmet of salvation. We know the purpose of a helmet, right? I mean, we hear about it all the time in football especially since they've discovered the consequences of concussions. When I ride a bike, I wear a helmet. That way, if I crash, it protects my head. And just, you know, just like the body armor does for your vital organs, that's what a helmet does for your head. Some Roman soldiers actually had plumes on top of their helmets, and they were red in color. And the reason they did that is it served to identify a friendly from the enemy. 
So you would know who was on your side in the middle of a battle. Your identification as a follower of Jesus is your salvation, helmet of salvation. Forgiveness, a relationship with Jesus, the promise of eternal life. If Satan can isolate you or make you think you're alone in your struggle, he has you. You need to know that you have brothers and sisters in the battle. You know, there's no more important value to a Navy SEAL than what they call their brotherhood. They will die for each other without giving it a second thought. You know, we need each other. That's why life groups here at the Ridge are essential. We need support. We need encouragement. We need to pray for each other. And if you're not already in a group in a few weeks, you're going to have an opportunity to join one, whether they're in person or maybe virtual groups. With the pandemic right now, um, perhaps connecting with others in this way is more important than it's ever been. Next weapon is the sword of the Spirit. Interestingly, this is the only offensive weapon mentioned by Paul. It's how you attack when you're confronted by the enemy. And it's called the Word of God. The Bible, in other words. We, we need to be able to read it, study it, meditate on it, memorize it, listen to it taught. It's the Word, the Bible, that strengthens our faith. It's the Word that gives us perspective. It's the Word that helps us understand truth so we aren't deceived and tempted. It's the Word that comforts us. It's the Word that teaches us what God is like. It's the Word that tells us how to handle our finances, how to live with our spouse, how to treat each other, how to care for the poor and the needy. Satan will do absolutely everything he can to keep you out of it. Because when you have the Word in you, you can fight Satan. That's why we have the Ridge reading plan, where you can read it daily. Now, those are our weapons. Okay, we said there are three important pieces of intel. Here's the third one, and it's this. It's our assignment. You ready for your assignment? It's a pretty simple one. Pray. Pray for each other. Here's verse 18 says this, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayer for all believers everywhere. It's prayer that unleashes the power of God. It's like calling in air support before you attack. Have any of you seen the movie called 12 Strong about the U.S. Um, Army Special Forces who were the first into Afghanistan after September 11th in 2001 to attack the Taliban? Their strategy was to call in air support first, and then they would attack. It was essential to their success. And so is prayer for us. We have to pray for each other. We have to stay alert and be persistent in prayer for all believers everywhere. Is there anyone or someone that you can pray for every day? Is there someone in your life group, maybe a pastor a missionary that we partner with, here's your assignment. Commit to praying for one person every day. 
I'd like to close us in prayer. God, my prayer is that uh, from what we've read and learned this morning, that we would know how to defeat our enemy, and that rather being discouraged or shrink back, that we would actually be encouraged, that you have equipped us, that you have empowered us, so that we can not only fight back, that we can conquer. God, help us to be aware of our enemy, but help us understand that we have the power to overcome. Thank you, God, for allowing us, for giving us that kind of power in our lives. And we pray that each of us would just claim that on a day-to-day basis. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.